Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I am Andrew Beam. I'm Corey Dempsey. Corey's on a phone, so he's going to sound like he's on a phone. But we wanted to get together quickly and tell you that we're going to do something a little different. We're doing an introduction to the introduction of an episode. And it is an episode about our top five favorite Every Time I Die songs. And the reason why we're releasing this now is because, one, we didn't really have a set release date in particular, but we knew there was an album out there that they had written, they had recorded, and presumably they're going to release it at some point. And a couple days ago, they teased something, which seems to be a variety show, but also that there would be two new songs that they would be debuting, and they released those songs yesterday. So Corey and I decided to hop on the mics and let you know that the episode we recorded was a little long. And we realized, though, during editing that we didn't want to cut it all. So, Corey, what are we going to do here? So we're going to do this in two parts. And this first part is going to be a little bit of an introduction about our own relationship with Every Time I Die's music. And we are also going to reveal our number five songs and our number four songs in this first part. And then we are going to release a second part next week. Who's going to be the third person in the booth on this one? So we were joined by our good friend, Mike Pellegrino, the lead singer and guitarist from Late Waves, a good friend of mine from way back in the day and a huge Every Time I Die fan. So this is going to be a lot of fun. We're not going to waste any of your time. Top five favorite Every Time I Die songs of all time. Let's hope we hear a new album soon. See you guys. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Andrew Beam. This week, we're going to be discussing the career and the music of one of our favorite bands. Probably, it might be up there as my favorite band, which is kind of weird to say, I think, for a hardcore band, but we're going to talk about Every Time I Die. And while we're doing a list of top five songs, we're really just wanting to look back on their career and give them the admiration we think they deserve. They deserve, And plus, they have a new album that's going to be coming out, I guess, soon. I don't know. I don't know if the pandemic kind of fucked with things, but uh, yeah, we have no idea when it's going to come out. Yeah. Basically, there was a there was a interview that got released on Alt Press on April 27th. And Keith Buckley said in that interview, um, and this is his quote, 16 of the best songs we've ever written have been recorded. And so we read that and we were like, oh, man, they've got a new record. This is uh, this is very, very exciting. Yeah. And we just sort of the next day after we heard that, we kind of started preparing this list. Like, what are the best Every Time I Die songs that we could kind of come up with. And two, what I'm really excited about with what he said about the new record, going to be political. So I think in terms of just what we've heard from them over the evolution of the band and his really writing material and what he's been writing about, I'm really excited to see how he's going to tackle that. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we, we got some quotes that we're going to read from that interview, and we're definitely going to encourage everyone to go check that out. But I'm really, really excited for this record. And as soon as we heard, we we started preparing for this episode. And in addition to going back through their whole catalog, we had to find somebody who would be as excited to talk about this as we are. And so uh, for that, we've brought in our good friend, uh, the lead singer, and 
probably the most serious guitar shredder I know personally. Um, Mike Pellegrino from Late Waves. What's going on, Mike? Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> only, only true facts on this podcast, bro. It's lovely when someone lies to you just so it's, you know, in public. This isn't a lie. This is <laughs> this is a true story. Maybe it's more about who I know personally, but yeah, could be a bias. Maybe My, Mike's. A serious I'm not doubting shredder. it, Mike. From what I've heard, it's it's it, you're dope. It, the music you make is dope. I mean, so for all of you guys that have listened to this pod podcast, um, and may some of you may actually know Late Waves, but uh, you know, some of you may not. So they were actually nice enough to let us use their song. Uh, it'll be fine, and it, we use it as both the intro and the outro music, so that's why you get a really nice lead-in when we are about to get things going. Yeah, that's a great track. It's my favorite that they've done, and, you know, Mikey, tell us a little bit about the band, man. So we're from uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey. We've been playing together. Well, our first record came out in 2017. We started writing about a year before that. Um, we've been torn around. We've made it, you know, down south, Midwest. Um, we actually just finished speaking of, uh, records coming out and the pandemic, we just <laughs> finished writing our first full length and it was, uh, co-produced by, uh, Vinnie Caruana of the movie life and I and the avalanche Ooh. as well as Brett, as well as Brett, the uh, drummer of both those bands as well. So got to work with some serious influences of ours and, uh, you know, we've been doing a couple of live streams here and there, here and there, but now we're trying to navigate how to put out our first full length in a global pandemic. And that's been fun. <laughs> so, I mean, otherwise <laughs> it's been good. Well, like there was no pressure to try to write a record during the pandemic because we already finished that right before it started. So we've been kind of chilling, but uh, I think we have plans to start releasing soon. So I'm excited for that. What I'm kind of curious about, just because I have no idea if this is what's factoring into whatever considerations, you know, every time I die are making about releasing a new record in during a pandemic or I don't know, like what, what are some of the things you have to think about just in terms of doing that? Um, definitely being able to tour on it. Like, uh, you know, I've, we've done tours because we've released a single. So especially with a full length, you're going to want to kind of hit the road and uh, try to get that in front of people that you can't reach on the internet. Um, so that's completely taken out of the game with uh the lack of live music um also since we are you know not that big of a band yet or anything we want to slowly kind of put this out in hopes that i, I mean i don't even know what i'm talking about i talked with our manager about it but um like the algorithms of streaming platforms the better shot you have if you slowly release your record for it getting uh you know put in front of more people or getting placed on playlists where we'd be on like you know, like new punk punk tracks on Spotify was one we've gotten before that really helped us out. So it's just whether or not we're going to just release it and it kind of go into the void and maybe get some attention because a lot of people are listening to more music these days, but it might get covered up by, you know, the next band that puts out a record just like we did. And we kind of get shuffled back with all of the influx of uh, music coming out these days. But that's like for a band of our level. I think a band like Every Time I Die have such devout serious fans that it's i mean i personally biased want them to put it out like right now so <laughs> it's the same. same way that i have been too it's kind of like when run the jewels was coming out with them like oh thank god we're gonna get something out of this yeah so real quick just you know give us your 
two, three sentence elevator pitch for this new record? What, what, what's it like? What can people look for? You know, what, 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 what do you got for us on that front? All right. Elevator pitch. I'd say it's uh Dude, you're supposed to have this ready. A, That's the whole point of an elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. have it ready for when you're on the elevator. <laughs> Currently, we're on said elevator. <laughs> the lyrics are kind of like a uh, unrequited voicemail to a therapist that maybe wanted to stop seeing you. But the music is more uh, very riff heavy and very fun. So there's that kind of bouncing around of, you know, tackling you know serious issues with you know mental health and self-doubt and stuff in the lyrics but we make up for the uh heaviness with uh heavier riffs and bigger choruses and just overall fun sounding music so there's a little bit of something for everybody in there that's awesome man and you know i will say i've always appreciated your guys's riffs i think that that's definitely something to look forward to. They're always super catchy and, you know, you, you may not know it, but they're very technical. And the fact that you can kind of meld that technique in the riffs, but still make them so catchy and listenable is, you know, it's a, it's a really great skill and something that I always appreciate in your guys's music. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, I I've heard the new record. I really, really like it. I'm very, very excited Hi. for it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, for sure, man. A lot more time and effort were put into the riffs this time around. Not that like we just half asked them before, but uh, we spent, you know, we went over to like fine, fine tooth combs of like something I've never really done before with uh, taking that kind of initiative on like every single note we're playing. So I'm excited. Right on, man. Um, just a quick note for any listeners. I don't, Mike, I don't know if you can hear it. So we're doing this for my apartment in Troy, New York. And of course, it's a pandemic. So access to studios isn't like the easiest thing in the world. Uh, this is in our apartment and my landlords are doing a little bit of work downstairs. So you're going to hear <laughs> maybe like a hammer or two and probably a saw. Um, sorry if that drives you insane, but <laughs> important note. Just wanted to let you know, just so it's not you freaking out. But that's your fault for listening to this while on acid. <laughs> We are going to listen to every time I die, so people could think you're just like hammering stuff because you're getting so pumped. <laughs> I feel so like jacked up. I refer to the word, and this is probably going to spoil, but buzzsaw quite a bit because I feel like that's what it sounds like sometimes when I'm listening to it and every time I die break down. But all right, man, I'm really stoked to get into this. I'm really excited to talk about every time I die for what could be four hours. Strap the fuck in, Mike. We're going to do this. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. What beer are we drinking here, Corey? So... Because we're doing an Every Time I Die podcast, we clearly had to go with a beer and brewery from Buffalo, New York. Um, So we picked Thin Man Brewery, one of our favorites, a brewery that we've visited before. And we are drinking their Fiddle Riddle, one of their small batch series IPAs uh, with Mosaic. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. So, Every Time I Die has this new record coming out, and before we go through, you know, our personal connections to it, I did want to give a couple of quotes from this interview. 
because, you know, as Beam alluded to before, this is going to be quite a political record. And given what Every Time I Die has done in the past, you know, I think it's very exciting to see what they could do with that kind of material. I feel like they kind of they, they like kind of touched on it. I think a new junk aesthetic with a couple of songs on there talking like, you know, remarking on society. I forget which song it was, but there's one just about like sort of like the YouTube generation and just stuff kind of coming from that. But to hear him talk about things on like literally society as a whole, you know, even remarking on politics, like I'm sure there's been clever sort of sardonic little takes on, you know, how politicians or people in power operate. But yeah, it's going to be really cool. And so yeah, Corey, there were, I remember that all press article. There's some pretty cool quotes if you want to go through a couple of them that were relating to and kind of described what he was going to do here. For sure. And I think the first quote that I wanted to read was him referring to, you know, the aftermath of the 2016 election. And he said, after the disappointment and shock, though in retrospect, it should have come as no surprise seeing how this country is teeming with people scared and hateful enough to vote against their own self-interest of election night to begin to subside. I started to look for little things I could control. And, you know, I think just in that little analysis, there's, there's a view into what this record could be like and the things that he might be talking about. I think the next quote too is sort of interesting too. It's just like the short version. I don't think I'd ever be able to write better or more charged lyrics than what I wrote for low teens, but that record was about personal uncertainty. This one is about universal uncertainty, which I think like, I like that quote because it really talks to what, what sort of was happening like with low teens, just sort of that transition where like, I feel like, you know, in terms of what the subject matter was going from, let's say, you know, X lives into from parts unknown, which is just sort of a lot of a lot of self-referential stuff. And then obviously the next album being a lot about his wife's pregnancy and just sort of the a lot of the uncertainty around that to go into it and kind of put it in sort of something where everyone can really or like doing something more politically charged and sort of getting something that where you can almost get everyone to connect to. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I don't think it's anything he's ever done before, at least not directly or so overtly. I think something that he's always been so good at in his lyrics is, you know, making clever, witty remarks, but they were kind of always just that. They were often removed from any sort of context. It was just kind of a bunch of clever, witty lines put together. And, you know, you could get a sense of what he was talking about, but you know, in terms of low teens, there was such a direct connection to his own personal life, something that we had never gotten before. And it seems like this one, he's really going to directly be taking on world issues in a way that is going to be really interesting to see how he handles it. And I think, you know, in the hands of such a skilled writer will be handled really well. Um, Mike, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to like go on that because you could tell when you see them live, everyone's favorite lyrics like you always kind of think they're your own then you go see them live then you know don't you ever say rock and roll comes on and everybody's fists in the air just crowding the stage singing those words with any kind of band or you know record you kind of make it your own in your own head and your own interpretation because that's kind of what it's all meant for but uh then you go and listen to like a band like rage where you know what they're talking about it is political it is you know commentary on you know the state of things and uh like you said we haven't heard keith buckley write like that yet and the combination of uh 
how clever and put together, you know, his words are leading up to this. I'm really, really stoked on hearing what he has to say and more, more specifically how he's going to say it is what I think. Yeah. And, most stoked on. and I always think too, that it's sort of been where it's like, like you said, he can be very clever and, and, and witty with his lyrics. And, but then I kind of go back to what he said about with low teens, where it's like, I thought I kind of lost my, or he may have said like, I, I kind of lost my sense of humor. I, he said it in an interview. I forget which one it was, but it was basically just talking about low teens and the circumstances around it. So it's almost where it's like, I hope it still kind of has that wit, sort of that dry wit that you had when he writes this, and it's not just complete anger. I, I don't. Oh, yeah, I love your. Oh, I hope he got his sense of humor back. Is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's possible for some. And, and, and again, this is complete conjecture. I don't know anything, right? You know, to back this up, but I feel like there's no way for a person like him. And I do feel like I know him because of spending so much time with him throughout, you know, musically anyway, you know, even online, like think about like the DVDs they make, you feel like you're friends with them. Right. And given what I know about his personality, I don't think he's, there's any way he could tackle this kind of subject without some kind of, you know, very sharp edged humor in saying that. And I think, you know, there's a quote, in the interview, it will show where he's coming from. He says, so when Trump, who is the personification of every corrupt ideology poured into one disgusting suit of loose skin was victorious, I knew that our shows had the potential to empower a lot of people who may have suddenly begun feeling powerless. (laughs) So even in that quote right there, you can see that while he's talking about very serious things, he also has, you know, that, that sharp knife coming for Trump and the things that he represents. So I don't feel like it will be just dark and anger. There will be a lot of that, but I feel like he's going to have a real, a lot of jokes, basically. God, I mean, I, I mean, the comedy's easy, so maybe that's what gives you a little bit, sort of a, a nice, smooth transition back into it. I mean, there's no doubt, and, and, and I'll talk about this a lot too later on, but like that level of bleakness it totally comes across that entire record, which I think is wonderful. And there's a couple which of records one is that? L- with low teens. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah. No. And with, and, and, you know, you know, kind of even with from parts unknown where they said they wanted to scare people. Yeah. Yeah. I was fucking terrified the first time I heard that record and, uh, <laughs> and, and it, and it, and it works out perfectly. So, um, so I mean, yeah, we're touching a little bit about sort of obviously their, their most recent stuff, but we all, and I'm going to assume, Mike, that you as well, we all go way back with this band. This has informed a lot of what I listen to and what I look for in the energy of the music I listen to and the energy of the shows, just the way they are. I mean, Corey, like, what was it like, sort of, what was your introduction? Because you, you came a bit earlier than me. You are a year older. I was not allowed to go to shows probably <laughs> a little bit before you guys, so... You know, I I started out in this type of music with some more pop punk sensibilities, um, things like Newfound Glory, Midtown, things of that ilk. Starting line. Yeah. Um, And then I started to kind of graduate and slowly move towards harder stuff. I'd say kind of Taking Back Sunday, um, Armor for Sleep, and a band who shall not be mentioned kind of started to transition me towards that stuff with a little bit more of an edge to it. I didn't think we'd talk about them again. And then, well, 
they who shall not be named. Um, and then I moved, I started moving towards hardcore music. Our, our good friend, Mike Lee was my introduction to that. And it started with Norma Jean and I went to go see them live. And that show really turned me on to the possibilities and the, the collective energy that comes with a hardcore show. And, you know, there's obviously a ton of issues with hardcore shows. We're not going to get into that here, but it showed me what's possible when it's done well and done right. And then I started to explore that music and I came to every time I die's music kind of through that introduction. I listened to hot damn. That was the record around the time that I was getting into their stuff. And then I went back and visited um, last night in town. And around that time I went to go see him live for the first time. And I've been pretty much hooked ever since, man. Yeah. I, so obviously I kind of, it was almost, I, I, my, I have siblings, but my only sibling is, is my sister where it's, I kind of, not that you guys are my big brothers, but I still got the music from you guys because my parents offered me shit. <laughs> I got Huey Lewis in the news out of them, like, and Bruce Springsteen, which like, I'm not going to argue against that, but Mike, I got to believe, wait, do you like, can you be in Asbury Park and not like Bruce Springsteen? Oh no, you get kicked out, dude. <laughs> so do you like Bruce? Wait, can you give me the honest assessment on Bruce Springsteen? Um, Uh-oh. I I enjoy a lot of his stuff. Honestly, I'm not as big of a fan as like most people in Asbury Park. Right. I did get to hang out with him uh, in January. What? Okay. There was uh. <laughs> okay. I think right. it's story there's, time. There's... Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I feel like we can't gloss over if you meet the boss in person. Definitely not. Yeah. So what's the story, man? I didn't. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't planning on bringing this up. It's not something I'm like, yeah, hi, I'm Mike, I met Bruce, and then uh, I live in Asbury Park. You're like, I live in Asbury <laughs> Park. <laughs> so my good friend, uh, Johnny Grishecki, um, he's in a band called Millie. He's from Pittsburgh. His father is Joe Grishecki of Joe Grishecki and the House Rockers, who grew up playing with, you know, the E Street Band and Bruce. So they're long, long time friends. They run a charity festival every year called the light of day festival and it just basically takes over asbury park every venue in town is there's bands playing and you know it's a fun little weekend and my friends in pittsburgh come down and i always hang out with them and bruce has showed up before to like play a set like at the wonder bar like surprise everyone just pops in for a song this year i you know i get down and my buddy johnny was like yeah he's like gonna be here he's gonna do a full set he's gonna be here all day and i was like oh well that's pretty sick. And my first move was just like, <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> if, uh, you know, cause I, Corey's known me for a long time. And, uh, my first response was in my brain. I was like, you're going to get drunk and say something stupid to Bruce. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Did you? So what I did was I got drunk, but I, I purposely tried to not talk to Bruce <laughs> to the point where like, <laughs> Dude came up to me and Johnny was like, Hey Bruce, this is Mike. He's a great guitar player. And you know, he's in a cool band. And like, and Bruce was like, Hey, you live in town. I was like, yes. <laughs> just I, I kind of, I kind of just snubbed Bruce a little bit. Just so I didn't say anything stupid to him. So, <laughs> and wake so, up the next day and be like, did that happen? <laughs> so instead of saying something potentially stupid and maybe, you know, memorable for him that, might not have upset him you just decided to be a standoff sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like don't, I was don't talk his, to me 
This was in his green room too. Oh wow! <laughs> You're just straight up. Oh my god! You just stiff armed him in oh, his yeah. own green yep. room. I can't. <laughs> yes. yes. Nice to meet you. Goodbye. Oh yeah, god, that's fantastic. I, I, I guess I handled that well. <laughs> <laughs> so. Kind of somewhat similar, I met Keith Buckley once at a show in Massachusetts, and it was through our friend Jess Palmieri, because her friend apparently knows him, and she went to the show with us, and so we were hanging out on the back deck smoking a cigarette, and I met him, and I, did, like, I didn't know what the fuck to do, and I did exactly what you avoided doing. <clears throat> I asked him how, because he had a gigantic beard, I asked him how long it took him to grow the beard. <laughs> his only response was yesterday and then of course proceeded to say how he just gets asked that all the fucking time and was definitely fucking sick of it this is not totally relevant but somewhat relevant because it's kind of going with the uh whole when you meet your heroes thing <laughs> i had a cigarette with patrick stickles of titus andronicus once and <laughs> I, was, I know the story. <laughs> I don't think it went well. I, was I, I with you? I don't. I think I was with you. It was outside of the Mercury Lounge. Yeah, right? it was outside Mercury Lounge, and we were having a cigarette, and I had a cigarette with him. I remember this. And I kind of geeked out a little bit, and totally handled it wrong. <laughs> Meanwhile, like this dude, we're the same exact age, and I, I'm just like, while I'm geeking out, I'm so embarrassed about geeking out, but I just can't like help myself. So then I was just like, okay, see you later, man. Great set. <laughs> and then just walked off. He was so of- confused. He was so confused. We didn't even play it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so, um, yes, I got the music. Transitioning back to what we were originally talking about. I-, I got a lot of my music influences from from you guys. I think I somehow, I don't know if I was on the same bus as you, because we played high school soccer you were in the varsity team i never made it and but like i had from one of you guys uh norma jean bless the martyr kissed a child and so that was my introduction to hardcore and then i always kept hearing you guys talk about every time i die every time i die i think you guys had already seen them at saratoga winners i just kept hearing all this and i was like all right i'll check it out and i remember getting the cd because i always remember too the album art in your basement it's yep. very pro- provocative and uh i was intrigued so I was also like, for whatever reason, scared of them because I thought the uh, the album cover was just like, whoa, these guys are these guys are up to something. But so I ended up going on vacation with my parents. We always go to Delaware, Bethany Beach. We went to the Hobbit Beach because this is the big trip. We're going out, and we always go along the strip. And there's they have this really awesome record store, and I went in there and I came across it and I found it, bought it listened to it in the car and immediately it was just like holy fucking shit like it just like blew like i'd heard some of the songs with you guys but just like ignoring everyone that i was in the car with my entire family and just listening to this and getting immersed in this and reading along with the lyrics i was just, i was immediately hooked like just lyrics i'd never heard before hot damn was just such a fucking amazing record and um and then yeah and then sort of the same thing where it was getting getting last night in town and then trying to i even got barrel pot bidding war which no, everyone i would hope admits is terrible i thought there were like some of our friends like you got to hear it and i was like why it's not good no no they admit the band admits it's terrible no but i did the same thing i went out and i bought that ep too because i was just like 
I'm into everything they have. And I was let down, but I think I did have like a week where I was on the, this is an amazing record camp just because I was like a teenager and couldn't admit that they did anything poorly. You know who else I did that with? Who's that? Mudvayne. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> so Mikey, what about you? Where, where did you come to start a relationship with every time I die? So I came in, I came in for gutter phenom on tour. I like Is Tori. It phenom or phenomenon? Gutter phenomenon. Because phenom would have been a oh, dope man. name. <laughs> I've been calling it gutter phenom for so long. <laughs> we'll cut this out and we'll save you. <laughs> no, I think that's hilarious. The fact no, that he's it. been calling it for that long. All right, he, 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 he <laughs> says he's <laughs> I'm but, sorry, I, I didn't so mean I to cut you off, but that I, I got stuck I was, on that immediately. I legit thought that's how it, how it is. I thought that was the um, title for until today. Um, I, I did that in the most dickish way ever. I'm meeting you for the first time. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm friends with Corey. Um, All right, yeah, that's fair. At some point in time, I started maybe joking, jokingly calling it that, and then I thought it was correct. But, good, way, good way to get out um, of it. I was on tour, and uh, one of the bands we were on tour with, we were in Florida, staying at their house, uh, just put it on, and uh, kind of like you experiencing, you know, talking about the first time hearing them, I'm just like, yo, you're allowed to do this. You're allowed to write <laughs> guitar parts like that. You're allowed to say shit like that. And uh, that's usually a sign when I really know I'm going to get into a band, and then, you know, I backtracked. Um, because that was like their newest stuff at the time. Because I think he like had just got the record because I was showing it to me. So then I backtracked, you know, to Hot Damn and uh, Last Night and just immediately kind of just started digging through. And then I remember that Warp Tour when they came around, saw them for the first time. And I remember like uh, Keith just in between songs going like, hey man, you know, you guys are getting rough out there. And if you see someone go down in the pit, just fucking kick him in the head for fucking falling. It's their own fault. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then they're even better live. And Jordan, I was like, how is he even playing the guitar with all the shit he's doing? And uh, yeah, they just kind of like took me by storm. And then I invested in everything because everything about them was cool. They have the punk rock aspect of like, you could tell they don't fucking care whether or not they think they're cool. They kind of know they're cool, but not in like a snobby way. Everything they do is different, you know? Like, it's kind of the first time someone's doing that every time they put out a record. Granted, I'm sure they probably disagree or say they have, you know, li- you know, cite their influences and how they, you know, came to the things they ended up doing. But uh, they're just one of those bands that I've seen them more than any other band I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, yeah, they just, I get, they just fucking pump me up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, because... They they just they just they lock, they were so easy to lock onto like it was in, in, insanely catchy without being poppy like which yeah. which I which I which I fucking loved about that too <clears throat> and like oh no there's there's just something about sort of the attitude like you said they're always uniquely them there isn't a time where it's like you know this isn't a song they would have made or something like that or they don't have to go back <laughs> to hey they don't have to keep telling fans. Hey, this is going to be like one of the earlier records we made. They've done that in the past, but there's literally no need to because whatever the next step is is generally better, except for maybe Gutter Phenom. But um, 
it, you know, it's just everything was always them. They were very authentically them. They don't stop being them. Although I will say this, and I think it's kind of funny to tie in with they kind of knew they were cool, but they weren't trying to be cool. So Keith Buckley, I remember like reading the interviews with this where he quit smoking cigarettes. And the reason why he did it in the first place is because he thought it looked cool and it made him look cool. Which is also the reason why I kind of did it because Keith Buckley smokes cigarettes. And pretty sure that's the reason why everyone does it. Don't smoke, kids. <sighs> it's fucking <laughs> stupid. That was a weird five years, for sure. And you know, Mike, I want to highlight something that you brought up because I think it's an outstanding point with every time I die and a lot of the things that you get into when you're a teenager. It is that sense of. When you listen to something, when you watch something, if it's a movie, the things that stick with you are the things that let you know you can do certain things that you had no idea you could do in art before. And I think that that's exactly what Every Time I Die has done throughout their whole career. They have pushed boundaries and wrote lyrics and riffs and things that have always appealed to so many people because they're just like, wait, you can do that you can say that on a record what yeah it's this whole southern metal style i feel like that maybe it'd been around but i hadn't heard it before they did it and it felt like then every like he is legend and maylene sons of disaster to try to copy that shit for sure and you know but, but it wasn't only that it was this southern metal influence stuff you know this really kind of lowbrow and i don't mean this in a bad way but like really grungy you know dingy rock music while he is citing Shakespeare constantly, and it's like, you can fucking do that? What? And it's such a juxtaposition with their with their music that I had never, ever experienced something that could be so grungy and simple, but so incredibly intelligent and philosophical at the same time that it just blew my mind. And, you know, there's a lot of things from that era that I don't listen to anymore, but every time I die stays because it really always has been that sense of they were the ones that let me know that was possible in music. Well, I think also, too, is because they just stayed good. Yeah, for so long. And like this last record, it's it's not my favorite, but I can see why people say like this is just the perfect evolution of every time I die. And like, as we said, the personal lyrics that he had in that, that, you know, some of them before may have been self-referential and sort of, you know, doing an internal gut check, but this was on a totally different level. And so like, they just continued to stay good. They, 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 they got better and they're continuing to, to, to stay good. So, and, and their live shows too, they just only got better live. They got better at their instruments. Keith Buckley, I think like, just look at the, where the man started from. Okay, fine. Burial pop bidding more vocally to where he is at now like the man can legitimately sing for sure and it's just they've they've only gotten better um while their old stuff completely holds up again except for burial pot but bidding more yeah and you know i think that's an interesting point that low teens is not my favorite record by them i will say that up front but objectively speaking it is their best record I really do feel like that is their best record when you just kind of take any emotional significance or connection to anything else in their catalog. If you just look at it objectively, that is their best record, I feel like. And Mike, I know you do love that record a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think. Uh, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, I, no matter what, like, Map Change has been heavy rotation since it came out. As, like, one of the songs I just got to listen to, like, as frequently as possible. So, with that, I do want to ask one quick question before we kind of transition into our, well, into our songs. Okay. Before we do that, I feel like we at least, uh, Mike touched on it, but their live shows are literally just some of, like you said, they have to be up there as like one of the bands. I've lost track of how many times I've seen them live. Yeah, and, absolutely. Me too. And they're the only band, like I see hardcore bands and stuff all the time, <clears throat> or at least the bands I used to listen to where you would mosh or get on stage. This is the only band where at my age of 32, which isn't that old, but I still am frail now. Um, I'll get on stage and stage that for, or like get up front yeah. for. Like every time I die, it's just that band where I have to do it. Um, and like yeah, like you said, the banter with them on stage with with at least Keith. Um, so fucking funny. I, sure. I have to uh, tell you about seeing them on a boat in New York City. Mm. <laughs> so wish I saw that. <laughs> they uh, we got there, and then uh, I guess like to let people know they were gonna go start playing. They started playing the Titanic theme song <laughs> to like to walk out on stage too, and then uh, you go you go down there and it's the hottest I've ever been in my life. It was the hottest fucking room I've ever been in my life, and uh, Andy is wearing like a Gilligan's outfit, like a skipper outfit with the sleeves cut off. And Keith was like, "Yeah, Andy didn't even know we were playing on a boat today. This is just what he wears." <laughs> and then the ceiling tiles, their ceiling tiles yep. on everything, and kids were just getting launched into it and it's just dilapidating and there's wires coming down and keeps like i got gaff tape if we need to fix that later <laughs> i'm so upset <laughs> and then, I they ended up, <laughs> then they ended up signing pieces of ceil- ceiling tile and charging whatever 20 bucks to like help pay for it to get fixed and uh like when the boat was docking that night kids were just so pumped that kids started jumping from the railing of the boat to the dock, like clearing like five, seven foot gaps. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's just going insane. (laughs) It just embodies the spirit of like Buffalo or at least going to a Buffalo Bills game. That's what it feels like. It's, but it's going to, it's, it's tailgating at a Buffalo Bills game times a thousand. (laughs) For sure. And you know, Beam, you mentioned this, it's, it's the only band really, that I will still kind of get amped up for as an adult. And, you know, Mike, you and I, you and I saw them open for the used. Yeah. And I I must've been 26, 27 at this point. And I was, I was pretty over the whole getting pushed around thing. Like I was just like, I want to, I want to sit. I want to have my beer. I want to enjoy some live music. And as soon as they start (laughs) playing, I'm just like, fucking right this is awesome and then five minutes later i find myself and i'm like you know pushing around like i'm 16 again and i'm like this is awesome it just brings me it just takes me out of my body and like brings me to a whole nother place and there's not really another band that does that to me anymore yeah i saw my wife punched punched a kid at that show for (laughs) (laughs) there's so my now wife was with us and her sister, who is the drummer of Late Waves. There's that plug right there. There we go. Um, so, <laughs> so she had her phone in her back pocket, my sister-in-law, and then some kid just grabbed it. And 
My wife saw it. And fucking just, mistake. Fucking punched the kid and took the phone out of his hand. That was the end of it. That's great. <laughs> it's because Ashley's a fucking badass. Coming <laughs> off of coming off of what Corey said, so I kind of had the same approach. I don't know why. My wife and I, my now wife, then then girlfriend at the time, uh, went and saw them. Did the season? Might have been 2016. I forget exactly when. Sure. Actually, I think it was right when Low Teens came out. And I went there. I had like a hoodie on. I had my, I had a, you know, one of the, you know, one of my winter hats on. I had my glasses on. I was like, I'm going to chill back here with my wife and, or my girlfriend. And <laughs> I'm just going to watch. I want to absorb this chaos. I'm not going to go into it. And then I think they played Floater. And I just am oh, like, yeah. I just looked at my, I just looked at my wife and I was just like, took my hat off, took my glasses off, took my hoodie off, handed it to her. She just gladly accepted it. And I was gone for the rest of the evening. So it was like five songs in. I did not last long. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, we, we've, we've talked enough about how much they mean to us. Let's now pick them apart and go into our lists. Yeah, right before we go into our list, oh. I do want to ask one question. And, Mikey, this is actually an idea that came from you, so shout out. I have he's, to ask... He's right there. I have to <laughs> shout out to you who is here with now us. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I just have to ask one question before we get into our list and dissect some things. Is Desert Island, Every Time I Die record, what's the one that you're bringing with you? Mikey. Um, let me just make sure I, I pronounce it right. Um, the pig dirty. <laughs> <laughs> How come? Why, why is that the one for you? I think cause you know, I got, I came in late and gutter phenomenon was my first and then I obviously backtracked. And then the big dirty was the first I got to like actively join the band and getting excited about a release. That's the one that just kind of like, I just kind of, uh, every single word on that record just hit me. I can do it front to back. It's, it's, I, yeah, it's just the one. It's hard to really articulate further than that. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Sound man. like you're about to propose to it. It's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Beam, I'm pretty sure we have the same one. And it's pretty presumptuous. I, I mean, I know how we talked about it, but yeah. <laughs> so, no, but Mike, what you said, like, it's just the one. And for us, it's hot damn. And damn it, he's right. and you know it's hot damn for all the reasons you talked about it's it's what brought us into it and it's not only the music but you know if i'm on a desert island and i can only listen to one record the rest of my life i want all of the memories and all the nostalgia that come with that record and hot damn has all of those things you know the the car rides when you're in high school the shows the parties where you play it, you know, the, the night where we screamed a bolorama on the roof at your wedding beam, it, it carries all those memories with it. So like, I want that when I'm on the desert Island. So I, Corey made the outline, or I think we, we did a joint effort on it, whatever we, we created the outline and he put on there desert Island eat it out and i was just like ah fuck you like i you know it's just i i don't i don't i didn't like thinking about this because i but it did come down ultimately to two for me what's odd is that it was for a longest time new junk aesthetic was my favorite 
And I think because it took me a while to get into the big dirty and gutter phenomenon was, was what it was, you know, it was, it was, it was serviceable, but it wasn't, you know, production value. They even admitted it just didn't sound like them. And then new junk aesthetic came and I was like, it, it just felt like the tides were changing basically. Like they were definitely going in a different direction. This was definitely an evolution. Um, and it was something I was super into. And then obviously that happened. And from parts unknown came out and it was something totally different. And they just wanted to scare the shit out of people. Like I said before, and it worked and I kind of liked it. Um, <laughs> So I always thought that that is my favorite album. But as Corey said, what is the Desert Island album? I need the memories, right? I need to be able to have that with me. And that's why Hot Damn is, it's always going to recall that. And plus two, it's a banger on every fucking track. For sure. Just every, every single goddamn one of them. You know, when I say that, that's not to take anything away from the music, but it's, I'm just saying that additionally everything that comes with it is so great, but you're, you're absolutely right that every song on that album is still hits just as hard as it did in 2003. It just, you hear it live and the panties drop. You're in, you're, you're, this is, this is what's happening. Did you just say panties? I'm pretty sure panties is out. Is it? That wait, hold on. That one panties are out. Are you serious? Why? I think so. I don't know. I is there a legitimate reason? Like I don't know. I offhandedly referred to panties the other day, and Bethany nearly slapped me. Not really. She was just like, "Don't say panties. That's weird." It's like, all right. Well, is it weird? Like people don't like the word moist. Weird. Like I don't. Ooh, know, I just did that to everyone. <laughs> so let's go to our top five. And you know, Mikey, I don't know if I talked to you about this. But when we were making our top five, we basically wow. said every single song on the top five had to meet a certain criteria and a criteria that kind of makes it an every time I die song. So when you're listening to an every time I die song for you, what are the things that make it undeniably every time I die? In no particular order, <clears throat> I'd have to say like, a big riff and this is a totally different thing and you guys will probably appreciate it because you're into like hardcore is also a big usually a big bridge or a big big ending kind of like yes there's the initial riff but then there's a part where they turn the riff like kind of on its side yeah and just kind of he lets the band just lose their absolute shit a breakdown <clears throat> um, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Just fucking call it what it is, man. Yeah. Also, the kind of like mysterious, prolific kind of uh, lyrics that we, but I, mean, I think in their credit, all the songs pretty much have that. Mike, did um, you see the fucking list beforehand? <laughs> no. Well you, well, you just nailed it. Those, those are the three criteria. We, yeah. we said every song that's on our list has to have one of those th- or all of those three things. Um, yeah. <laughs> it has to have a massive, huge riff. It has to have some kind of witty or clever Keith Buckley line. And it has to have an epic every time I die style breakdown, which is exactly what you were mentioning when they just kind of turn one of those riffs on their head and let everyone lose their fucking shit. Yeah. 
Well, then, yeah, I'm right there with you guys. It's all, it's all we're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need from every single one. So we're going to get into it now. Our, our top five, we're kind of going to count them down from five to one. Uh, I will say. That's how countdowns work. That's true. <laughs> Fuck you very much. And that is how countdowns work. <laughs> so right before we get into our top five, I just want to remind everyone there will be a Spotify playlist uh, available on our website that goes right along with this. So, you know, you can use that Spotify playlist or you can just kind of follow along as you're on your own. As you listen to these songs, you can hear what we'll talk about. We'll kind of point out some time, some lines, some riffs, some breakdowns, all those types of things so that, you know, you can listen along with us there at home. So we did impose one rule upon ourselves, I think. Well, apart from that criteria, there was one rule. We didn't want things. It couldn't be all hot damn. Right. It, we so we limited ourselves to one song per record because we did really want it to be representative of their whole career. So this is also just kind of the top five albums, more or less. Not really. I don't know. It's it's something. But we we chose one song from each album. What we're gonna do is we're gonna introduce a song. We're gonna play the song here on our end. You'll hear a little pause. You're, you're gonna hear some shitty elevator music. <laughs> Because and then that's what I wanted for you. And then there's going to be the discussion portion. So number five, and Beam, I do believe we have an overlap right yeah. off the bat, don't we? There's definitely an overlap. And yeah, it's it, 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 I think it's also pretty plain and simple because it's the only one from this record that I think we should be choosing. I, I completely agree. And so with that, it is the logic of crocodiles from last night in town. So we just listened to Logic of Crocodiles. Beam, do you have any kind of big picture thoughts before we get to the categories? Yeah. So this is the song. So Mike Lee, it, it, it was his AIM screen name, I believe. Smile, you fuckers. 86. Smile, you fuckers. So I, I didn't know really what that reference was to. And then I always heard like, you know. Last Night in Town, you got to give that a listen. And then I heard the song and I, and I remember reading those lyrics and I remember reading that particularly lyric. I was like, oh, okay. And just this song also too, in general, is the standout of the album. Like one, there's that instrumental that comes in beforehand, which I actually really do like that instrumental, but it doesn't fit the criteria. And, uh, but small, like, like for Logic of Crocodiles, because this was a time when they would make songs, they just literally would throw parts together. And for this, it's just one dope rip after another dope riff after another dope riff, just like all of that. And two of the like, most like brutal breakdowns that I feel like they have in their catalog. And, you know, when it comes live, like I said, if there's one song that I'm getting on stage and stage diving for, it's this fucking song. And it's like, I always try and time it like right before like these breakdowns and stuff like that, because I just want to be in the massive chaos that goes on. Like it just has that lead up where everyone's just about to collectively lose their shit in these. And also to the lyrics are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of curious in your take cause it's, it's literally like business speak. Yeah. So I, I, I wrote <laughs> in the form this, of lyrics. I wrote this exact thing down and you know, Mike, it, this goes back to what you were talking about. The song features those tongue-in-cheek satirical lyrics, and they're really, really funny. And at the same time, 
you know, after listening to this song, I was like, you can do that. You can take a bunch of business speak buzzwords and then just throw them into a song. Like where else are you going to get a line like genetically altered handshake capable of speeds up to 30 (laughs) miles an hour, or I'm sure we could synchronize agendas. Who puts that in a fucking hardcore song? Like Like none of this. I don't even think any of it rhymes. It's just literally like he read a manual. Yeah. And it's like American psycho. Is that? Yeah, Patrick yeah. came in where to write a hardcore song. Yeah. No, for sure. It, it It is so, it's such a bizarre song to listen to, but at the same time, it's so clever and so funny. And something that nobody else I have seen has ever done. I've never seen something like this. And it goes back to exactly what you were saying, Mike. No, I was just going to say, because yeah, it sounds like Keith Buckley's an office manager <laughs> and he's trying to pitch you on his company or like just like to a pot- potential like prospect. Yeah. It's like an interview for a, but am I wrong that this could possibly be just in reference to like a potential mate, like, like someone that you're looking to potentially marry. So, and it, and it gets into, I guess we'll kind of, we'll get into that, but it, it kind of goes into the reason why I thought about this. And for whatever reason, this may have been the first time I thought about that as an explanation for this song. And again, this could literally have no meaning and this is just what I'm drawing from it. But it goes into like one of my it what my favorite lyric of this of this uh, a song is. So I guess we should probably get into the criteria then. Yeah, you know we're gonna start with our lines. What were our favorite lyrics from the song? And I gotta say this this one I had the hardest time picking because it's hard to isolate a single line when it's really the whole song and its big idea that is what makes it so funny and clever and new. And it's exactly what we were just talking about with like who can take business speak. But I did isolate one quick line and it's we could form a strong strategic partnership capable of overcoming sensitive and adverse predicaments, which will be discussed at the next goals assessment meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck does that in a hardcore song? Dude, that's fucking hilarious too. I remember reading that line over and almost chose that too. What's yours? For me, it was actually what was already referenced. It's smile, you fucker. It's not often you get this chance. And then this is like my favorite part of it. Love is just an exchange of corporate documents. Now, this plays into kind of why I think this might be sort of like an interview uh, for a potential mate. Because in this, it just sort of it breaks from the monotony to me in, in a way. And I literally just thought of this today while actually listening to it again. I've listened to this song a million times and I tried to write notes about this a million times. For some reason, it came to me today when I when I kind of rereading that lyric is. And it's one that always stuck with me because it just feels like he takes a complete break from the lyrics of just like normal business speak. And it's almost like not breaking the fourth wall, but it's just like, for fuck's sake, you're not going to get another chance like this. We may as well just get married. It's just, you know, this is all love is. We just sign a legal document, which you have to, of course, to get married, a marriage certificate. It's like, that's that's all this is. That's all this is about. And, and, and it's done in this, like, total douchebag, like, kind of businessman, so to speak. And like you said, sort of that American psycho. So that's why, to me, it's, like, insanely clever because it's a complete break from the rest of it. Because uh, you, don't, you don't hear that. He doesn't talk like that in the rest of the song. And it's a really interesting point and something that just made me think and that's the first time in the song where the music also breaks it's Mm -hmm. the first time where they break from that kind of initial riff and then go into that breakdown 
So it's kind of like almost as the music shifts, it's a different kind of voice and tone that then comes back. It's almost like so much angrier than what the rest of the song is about. It's like, for fuck's sake, do I have to go through all this shit? (laughs) Like, do I have to read all of this? Like, can we just get to the yes part? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mike, what do you, what do you do? Do you have one? I mean, is there one that you can recall or what do you think at least the choice is? Yeah, so far, I think that it definitely holds up to all the criteria, especially this is a good example of, this song is one big, like, Keith kind of witty line because I'm just, like, writing it from this point of view. Whether, you know, and the, the thing about this song, too, that I think is great is that he wrote it when they were much younger. <laughs> but, you know, having grew up with, you know, the lyrics and stuff, I think it still holds up. Not, you know, personally, but, like, if you're taking it as, you know, looking at, people being so cold as to view like their prospective partners or how they spend their life as everything being a business agreement that, um, you know, when you're young and full of angst, you're like, yeah, fuck the system, fuck the rat race, fuck all that shit. And, you know, you get older and you kind of like, well, you know, you need a job and you need Sorry, to settle when, down and when all that stuff. you're young? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Maybe this is when, more no, of a personal you... thing, but <laughs> I still say no. all those things regularly. <laughs> Well, that's, that's what I was getting at, is that, like, you know, if you're a fan of this band, you kind of should have grown up and been like, yeah, it's still, like, I still agree with all this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have a lyric that ever, like, kind of stood out to you in that song? So, um, you know, being completely candid, I, uh, this is one of the albums I had to go back and uh, kind of reacquaint myself with, so I didn't have a specific um, lyric for this song, but I did have azlyrics.com open while I listened. <laughs> and uh, I did. I Genius did is ch- apparently I, the better I, one, just so you know. <laughs> I like P lyrics, but I, I don't think it's up anymore. P lyrics. What a uh, classic. Shout out. Yeah, dude. Throwback. <laughs> or dark lyrics for your, uh, for, your, wow. for your hardcore bands. <laughs> <laughs> but smile, you fucker. It's not often you get this chance. Love is just an exchange of corporate documents. Is, uh, that's the one that was like, yeah. It's know. so bitingly That's cold. That's got to be what we're talking about here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, you know, normally what I wanted to do was go lyrics, riffs, then breakdowns. But since we're talking about it, that also has to be the breakdown that we're talking about. That smile, you fuckers one. You know, It's actually not for me, but you go ahead on yours. Well, you know, like, like you, we mentioned before, it's the first time the song breaks from that and you get the huge, you know, exchange back and forth with the dissonance and you know we were doing it right here as we listen to that song as soon as it comes in it's just you know the hands are going up and the head's bobbing and that breakdown is is just so yeah yeah um, oh, i'm sorry we forgot to mention there's gonna be air guitar or there's gonna be uh, uh guitar noises being made vocally by our so so much mouth guitar there's gonna be a lot of it um mouth guitar that's what it was <laughs> but yeah that that breakdown I just love it so much. I think that both the combination of the lyrics as well as that going back and forth between the dissonance and the the open palm muting chords is it's just such a hallmark of the hardcore breakdown and also evident not in not necessarily this isn't necessarily a good thing but so evident of a young hardcore band who doesn't really hasn't really fully explored what they could do with a breakdown. It's just like, yeah, palm muting and dissonance, but it, it fucking works. Well, to, to counter 
Oh, now I'm using business terms because we're listening. Just no, 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 that's fitting. So to piggyback. To, to counter <laughs> no, 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 no. Counter I'm going to counter offer. <laughs> I don't know. It's actually, it's actually not countering. It's actually, it would be piggybacking. Oh. Um, there is a part near the end of the song where you can kind of hear like what they inevitably come into. And like, like you said, this is the earlier stuff where it's kind of, they have the dissonant, you know, you know, chopped up just chords. Like, dun, 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 dun. And then they go into that, those kind of weird janky scales they do on the back half of riffs. Oh, you're about to steal my moment And you hear that so much here. now. <laughs> I was like, you're about to but steal my to, moment here, man. <laughs> to go from the simplicity of the breakdown into that, you can see where they're headed. Which is which is really interesting. So for me, the breakdown is the one at the end. It's the one at the, like basically the three minute mark of that song, because it has that that bridge. That's just sort of it's like the calm before the storm. Yeah, it's like the boom, boom, boom. like just sort of like just going like really slowing it down, and then the rapid drum build up right to that breakdown, which just sort of flips that riff on its head, just kind of like we've been sort of talking about with what they're really good at doing, and. Yeah. So no, the the smile you fuckers like that 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 breakdown is phenomenal. I love that breakdown. But for some reason, the one at the end, it just feels like the culmination of everything. Like we've just been building up to this point. And then when you have that bit of calm, you just like it just it kind of comes with the live show where it's just like it's that anticipation of this like amazing breakdown where everyone it's just it's it's brutal, it's melodic, and it just sounds like absolute chaos to me. It just sounds like the world like crashing down. Sort of at that point, but about, yeah, I, I I fucking love that breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. And what about what about the riff? I think I, we have we're a, in agreement on yeah. this. What's because the riff for you? It's 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 the it's the one that. So if you want to go to the one fifty mark, it's the one where it's just those crazy, those really gnarly hammer ons that, as I said before, just create that sort of like buzzsaw through your ear kind of yeah. sound, and you can go ahead because I know like in the music video, and correct me if I'm wrong. Because what we said is they'll just do the one-handed hammer-ons. And then with the other hand, I know in the music video, I'm pretty sure they do the devil horns. But there was one time I think we saw them live. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's the video where it's a bunch of chopped up together live footage. And, you know, because they're doing just all hammer-ons and pull-offs with their left hand on the neck of the guitar, their right hand is free. And so in the music video, I think they just give them the devil horns, like the rock on shit. But when you used to see him, they just flicked off the crowd and like, <laughs> or at least the, I feel like Andy was Andy certainly <laughs> was. And it's just such a, it's such an epic riff and so cool when they play it one handed live that, and I really, I really do like how, in addition to that, you know, hammer on and pull off riff that it interchanges with this really staccato different yeah. dissonance. It goes, and then it comes in. Like that, that exchange where it's going back and forth with that dissonance and then into the hammer-ons and pull-offs, that riff is really, really fucking cool. It's just, yeah. it. They're like, again, it has that businessman douchebag quality. They're just <laughs> douchebags about the riff too. They're just like, yeah, this is fucking dope. Let me let me, yeah. let me, let me show just off do this one-handed motherfucker. Here's my dick. Like uh so Duke of Shreddage, anything to add to that? And that's how I'm referring to you for whenever we talk about riffs. <laughs> oh, that well, that was the one that like that really caught me near the end was the <laughs> the, the, the chops into the scale and that's like that's classic every time i die 
which obviously because it's on one of the earlier records. I think, you know, we're going to keep hearing that. I think that's something we should, you know, me not knowing what these top five are, I'm, you know, I'm finding out. When I'm almost, them. I'm almost starting to feel we sympathetic should. for you now because we, we didn't tell you to put together your list, but we're no, literally, we're we're literally giving, kind of we didn't fun. give you our list. And then we're just like, all right, man. What what are what do you have for all those three categories? We give you no preparation for that whatsoever. No, dude, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of fun. No, and Mikey, one thing that you said before uh, before we close on this and move on to our next one is, you know, it's something that I felt about last night in town, and you know, we're speaking very highly of it, but it is number five. Um, that's not a bad thing. I mean, obviously, it's it's in our top five. So out of how I what, how many albums do they have at this point? Eight. But like, yeah. there's so many other songs and, you know, we didn't have to do the one per record thing. Um, but last night in town, it introduces all the hallmarks of what every time I die are. But at the same time, it's not a fully realized vision yet at this point. And that's completely understandable. They also admit to that. Yeah, yeah like they, sure. they Like it, there's a ton of interviews where they talk about how. And give them one little bit of credit. They're very fucking honest about where where they were at in their career and and, and, and get pretty honest assessment of their albums which yeah for sure hard. and you know they talked about this and said that at this point they were really just writing parts like what are the cool parts that we can put together they weren't really writing songs yet so you know while this introduces all that is great about every time i die it's kind of the unevolved most basic version of it that as we start to go through the rest of these songs you know, you start to see the evolution and the growth. So we'll still see and come back to all these hallmarks, but it will be, you know, a bit more put together, a bit more of a singular vision um, as we continue to go through here. And for this one too, there's a lot of nostalgia factor to it. Not to say that it's not a really good song, but I don't know. It's, it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, I heard Hot Damn and that clicked. But then I heard this song and I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's go to number four then. And this is going to be yours too. So what's your number four? Same album though, right? Well, it is off of the same off album. Off the same album. We're not ranking that. No, I know. I know. I was just, I was just wondering. Damn. Um, <laughs> so our number four is, or my number four rather, um, is No Son of Mine from The Big Dirty. So that's a good pick. Thanks. Yeah, I don't disagree with that one. (laughs) And I'm going to say something a little bit rude about every time I die right now. And, you know, the only reason I feel comfortable saying it is because basically they've said it themselves already. After Hot Damn, Gutter Phenomenon came out. And I got to be honest, I didn't particularly like it. And I like it even less now. It's the only record really that doesn't hold up in their catalog for me. Um, it felt like a hot damn ripoff with basically a hot topic gloss of pain over it. But with that said, that's why the big dirty is such an important record for me. Um, because I feel like with the big dirty, they really come back into form. And not only that, it also shows a maturation as songwriters. And, you know, I actually had a really hard time with this pick because in Mikey, I know, 
I think you'll agree with this because you're the one who really turned me on to this song and made me listen to it more closely. Honestly, my favorite song on the record is imitation is the sincerest form of battery. Mm. Um, and I think it's the biggest realization of that maturation as songwriters. The only reason I didn't pick it for this list is because I couldn't really identify a huge breakdown <laughs> in that song. I tried my darndest <laughs> because I really wanted to pick it, but I couldn't really identify that. But, you know, in saying that, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that represents that maturation in the sense that, hey, we can write a dope ass fucking song and we don't need some epic breakdown to center it around. Like, we don't need that anymore. We're, we're beyond that as musicians and as artists and songwriters. And, you know, I'm I think that I think that's a really cool thing that they did there. I don't know, Mike, what do you what do you, what do you think about his choice here? Um, this is one of my like all time favorite songs. <laughs> so I'm super into the choice. It's funny you say that about Gutter Phenomenon though, because that's the record that I got into them with. Yeah, we know. And I was I guess I was like a little like You got into just, Gutter Phenom. Is what you yeah, I got into Gutter Phenom. <laughs> yeah. But um I think I was like naive in a good way where I didn't, you know, know the uh cherished history of the band yet and i just kind of got in the record so i didn't like you know have any expectations mm-hmm. for big dirty besides i hope it's good again and then when it just and then it's delivered for me personally you know what you mentioned about this delivering the thing about my pick no son of mine is the first song on the record so really it's like it's an, an amount it's an announcement like hey yeah. In case you were fucking wondering, we're back. <laughs> and fuck you if you doubted us. <laughs> Y'all must have forgot. And so, you know, I think it's just a perfect song to come back with that. And I, I remember thinking that when I listened to it the first time. So I want to do my lyric first, and I'll, I'll be quick about this. I don't think there's too much to discuss here, but, you know, this song has the opening line, which again, just like coming in so hot right off the opening with this record and this song. And it, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier about that mixture of this highbrow and lowbrow. And so this line is a really beautifully written line that is really poetic, but at the same time has this really grotesque imagery and so it's we've drained full confession booths Mm -hmm. polluted drinking wells with our repentances and then stood grinning with our arm around the shoulders of a rotting child classic every time i die yeah (laughs) so this this song uh, this song in general too when it was played live for me in terms of the lyrics bite your tongue don't you use those words when that fucking and I think that's what this 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 record in general how I was able to connect with it was when it was played live and when I heard that song live and he's like he's literally shouting at the crowd like don't you fucking use those words and then everyone's just screaming along with him anyways but yeah and then everybody yeah. uses those exact words because everyone's yeah. shouting along with it and so well I guess I'm going out of order because I'm doing the breakdown again maybe we'll just do the breakdown after because uh, the breakdown for this song has to be that ending and the crazy cool thing about it is that it's really the same breakdown twice where you know he's doing the deadbeat godfather but it's sped up and you know it it is what it is and then you think it's ending but it's like nope hold on wait for it (laughs) 
and then it Queens goes of Stone into, Age does a lot, and I I kind of really like when bands do that. Yeah, and they do it they do it quite a lot too because yeah. they do it on Floater too, mm-hmm. um, where they think it's like a false ending, and then they just slow it down, bring it back, and this time they actually bring it back with different lyrics, and it's you know, blasphem who taught you those words don't ever say rock and roll don't ever say rock and roll and it's just a hell of a breakdown and a hell of a lyric yeah uh, it's a fucking fantastic song all right it's kind of hard whenever you listen to an every time it i song to pick it out but what's the riff uh mikey what's your thoughts on the riff duke, I mean, duke just of a, shreddage to open up with like that's such a you just kind of like you. You have to like kind of like arrogant, do the lean back off off the off the gate. Just like you just kind of want to put one hand up and just start like bouncing no, like, out of the gate with the song. And, and that, usually it takes to like speed up the song, start it faster, then you get into the part where like oh shit, you're doing it. But you literally start the song off with just just fucking sweat, like bopping your motherfucking head. And it goes back to you know what we were talking about where it's just like an announcement it's almost like you hear that bing on like an announcement yeah. that's coming up and it's like and it's like yeah. hey we got something to fucking say listen up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go into it and then i love I, I do love the riff that they build the song around and you know mikey it's what you talked about before where they just kind of go back and forth between kind of the more broken up and then they open it up so the whole song is built around this riff that's a bunch of hammer-ons of pull-offs like and then it opens up so glad we went with all these mouth guitars and they just open it up into that really big guitar um and they're doing the shoot that yeah shoot that horse that you can't afford to feed and like Oh man, dog. It's, shoot that dog. Shoot that dog, dog that you can't afford to feed. And they open it up with that big riff and then go immediately back Which into that the lyric too is off. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> shoot that dog that you can't afford to feed. Like, ooh, jarring. Like it's I mean it's it feels it's clearly a commentary on something, but it's like, ooh. Yeah, for sure. But you know, it is again what they do so often with their riffs, and it's it's really, really a great riff. I lo- I love how they do that and kind of use use the more like chopped up riffs to then open things up. I also like how they kind of, cause I was having a hard time with riff versus uh breakdown versus lyrics. Cause for me, this song is like a, just a total combo. That part you're talking about the shoot that dog, you can't afford to feed or that rat has got his mother's eyes, <laughs> but to end it <laughs> halftime slowed down screaming blaspheme <laughs> is just so sick to me. I don't know. Like that's just one of those things where like, I just, I wanted like to roll down my windows and like some like prissy lady and like a Land Rover next door to me, the car over at the red light, just hearing that shit. I don't know. Just, you're just like proud to love that band at that moment. It you does. Know? It like, makes you like a happy parent, yeah. like a proud parent. You're like, oh, yeah. look at you guys. You did it. Even though they're the ones that raised us, like in a way. Yeah. So, you know, we just spoke glowingly about this song and be my know you do love this song i don't i didn't want to copy you i did again i knew what your list was and so the thing for me is that like i could have easily recalled back in my head what are the ones that stood out but i wanted to give everything an objective look i literally listened to except burial plot bidding war i went through every single album that they had every single song and 
honestly, with and I guess I didn't because what I chose is it, it. It has songs that has a lyric that really sticks out to me, but also the breakdown that really sticks out to me. And then you know, kind of listening through this lens, the the riff stood out to me. A gentleman's sport is the one I went off of for a big dirty. great pick it oh yeah i, I don't know it, it, like i said it, it, it's one that always just stuck out to me the most i i feel like it has that sort of southern hardcore rock charm that the, that it always had to it especially that you know that riff the breakdowns in it like i said super brutal and and, and in terms of just sort of what the overall song is about in terms of like the big picture of it um like it just it has all the elements of, of the every time i die that you're looking for and I'm almost curious because I don't know, like sort of in reading the lyrics over and Mike, since you were actually just kind of reading it over as well while you're going along with it, I, 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 I really feel like it's just talking shit about music reviewers sort of in a way. I don't know if it's about or I just at so, least yeah. or yeah, or just like, you know, the trickery of people in power, just something like that. Like, you know, poison bait on the line, but we're throwing it back. Like, I, like that's such a good fucking line as well. Like it just this one is chalk filled with really good lines. And I also think it has just this really since like a bit of sincerity to it, a lot of honesty to it, uh, where Keith is just he's also, you know, he's admitting to it. He's just screaming all that we hunt you for. We are in that breakdown. Oh, my God. Like, it, it's one of those things where it's like it sounds threatening, but it's just like, no, I'm just telling you what the facts are. Where This is actually more about us than you kind of thing. And then also too, chewed off my very own head to get me out of this trap. I, you know, I just think it's. You know, those those lyrics are just fucking phenomenal. It's just like almost like one hit after another from him. And I think it's fun. It's heavy as hell. And it's it's just always been a standout for me on the record and, and really is the catalog as a whole. Oh, I'm right there with you on this song. I think, uh, again, I'm maybe noticing a theme with this record that I didn't notice before is that a lot of the big riffs are coming with a lot of the big lyrics. Mm. The, the shoot off my very own head to get me out of this trap part is like, oh, shit, they're opening up. And then they fucking go even harder after that. Right. But it's not, um, it's not the full open up. It's yeah. like, but, but yeah. you're right. Because that was the riff that I identified as the killer riff and they haven't quite gotten there yet. And then they slow it down and then they slow it down again with the very last yeah. part. It's, it's epic. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there. Also, another big moment that you want to have at a red light is someone screaming, bring me the tongue. <laughs> So bring me the tongue discard the rest of him yeah. <laughs> so going into my lyric <laughs> it is that it's that it's bring me the tongue everything else is fat salvage the okay. tongue discard the rest of him i fucking love that lyric and this might be just sort of the reporter in me and covering people who we hang on like what every word someone says and you just think about you know, uh, former reporter, but like thinking about people in power for me. And that's, that's why I sort of identify that way where I can completely understand it from his perspective, a music reviewer, bring me the tongue, you know, salvage the tongue, discard the rest of it. I think it's really just sort of too. And I think it gets lost on a lot of people when we talk about politics and whatever else is it drives home that point that the words we use are so fucking important. And that we we really lose sight of that sometimes. I just think like something like a lyric like this really resonates with me. You know, it resonated with me then when I first heard it, and it resonates with me now. 
And when I when I listen to it now, I also think it's really about how we as fans and as individuals treat artists in the sense that, you know, bring me the tongue, everything else is fat. Like, yeah, I care about the music you make and I care about what you have to say on these records, but I don't really give a shit about you as a human being. Mm. And it's often how people treat celebrity and how we treat athletes. Like these people are fucking human beings. That gets lost all it, it, the time. It, it, exactly. It gets lost in the fact Just make that, your money, man. Yeah. Just play your sport. Shut the fuck up. Like, but these are all human beings and men and women that are to be cared about and cared for. And that gets lost with all this idea of celebrity and, you know, this tabloid journalism. And I think it's about a lot of that as well about how we treat these people who are exactly that people, but we don't necessarily see them as people. We mm-hmm. see them, you know, as almost removed from that. So it's like, you know, give me your movies, give me what you have to say, but everything else, fuck that. I don't care about it. I, I really like, you know, I agree with what both of you are saying. And then what makes me think of is this is about maybe music critics or any sort of critic in any kind of genre. It's hard to write a song about, you know, what the critics are saying about you when you're at a certain level. And if you do it, you're going to come off as whining for the most part. It's kind of how it's set up because the critics will review as review you as whining and then it's unbecoming. But the way he does it here, it's not whining at all. It's just pointing out really good stuff. And that just goes to show how, good he is at you know articulating what he's saying because it's almost you're not threatening. at all thinking it's yeah, like, it's yeah. Like, say that shit again like <laughs> yeah, it's awesome <laughs> if you guys were keeping track at all at the two minute three second mark i fucking wrote this shit down i tried to get down to the nitty-gritty of it but it's where he's saying that bring me the tongue everything else is fat it's so fucking brutal for whatever reason, it pumps me the fuck up when he's saying that. I'm like, yeah, fuck, the, yeah, let's let's do it. I'm running along, and I'm like, I'm yeah, let's go. I'm going there right now. I'm going to City Hall. Let's go fucking do this. But it's also, too, like, one of the better breakdowns I have. Like, for me, you know, they play this live. I'm going to be fucking freaking out. Same way I will with No Son of Mine at the end there. Like, that's it. they also just know how to fucking put a fucking coat on it. They just know how to just, like, here, I'm, I, I know... We're ending this here. We're we're just this is this is such a good way to just wrap it all up, sort of in that. But yeah, I mean, the breakdown is great, but there's no doubt the lyrics for me make it even better. And um, then, I mean, I know you guys talked about your riff, but the riff for me was like, no, 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 like just sort of the main riff, like kind of throughout for that. I think is great. Yeah. It's so it's just it 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 fits into. I feel like the character of Every Time I Die, just or just Big Dirty, just in general, and just sort of what their style is as well. So I, 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 I will be honest, it's not like my most favorite standout riff, but it's the other parts of it, like those lyrics and, and definitely the breakdowns that, you know, the fact that they have like, you know, a riff that I still think is very good in terms of the, and this is a compliment, in terms of the rest of what they're able to write, it's serviceable in terms of, of this song. Mikey, any any closing closing thoughts on this before we uh, move on? So good. <laughs> no, <laughs> go with the riff, like it's cool, like it's got such um, a vibe to it. A really yeah, cool vibe. and it's like it spans it. The whole riff itself takes up like a whole section of the verse. Yeah, you only get the riff like one or two times in the verse because it's so long, which is like kind of hard to do and keep people. I just wonder how interested in it. 
I wonder how much bickering goes on between Jordan and Andy. There's there's this really cool interview, and I'm actually going to talk about it a little bit later, but uh, it's something that Steve Mishy, the, the bassist, said mm. when they were doing the interviews for the From Parts Unknown record. And he talked about how Jordan and Andy have these very distinct styles and that Andy's riffs are a lot more vibe-based and Jordan's tend to be a lot more technical and kind of all over the place and chaotic. So I feel like that one is more of an Andy riff. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but that that vibe feel and that kind of rhythm that it has makes it feel based on what Steve said, like an Andy riff where it's just kind of got a grooviness to it. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. It just feels like what Jordan goes for is just chaos. Yeah. Yeah. 